don't have a title in your bulletin. Sometimes I, either I need to listen better to the Spirit or I wish the Spirit would be quicker, but sometimes I don't have that title ready. So if you want to know what direction I'm going to go in this morning, if there were a title, it would be called The Art of Thanksgiving. I guess part of this came from a place of my own sense feeling I needed to find a way back to a grateful center. It just seems in the last few weeks and couple months that it's been a more harried and pulled and pressed and stressed center. I needed to get back to a grateful center. So if this is just for me, will you just sit here for a few minutes and listen in, okay? And then when I'm done talking to myself, we'll sing the final hymn and then we'll go home. I've been fortunate enough to see some pretty good works of art. I don't know about you. Um, I've seen the painting, a painting by Rembrandt in Chicago Art Museum. At home, we've got some paintings by local friends that hang on our walls. When we repainted our house about a year ago, one of the goals that we had was to have only paintings uh, on our wall that were originals, basically be friends or people that we knew. Um, Some of those, actually, I think one is my dad's. My dad, uh, in the last two or three years in retirement, has taken back up one of his hobbies again of oil painting. And one of my prayers for him is that in his rehabilitation, that he'll be able to regain some of the strength in his left side and left arm again, that he can continue that. It's not just a hobby. The guy's good, and he's painted something for each of us kids, and we have his painting for us hanging above our um, television. One of my favorite paintings um, I saw a few years ago, Van Gogh's painting, Starry Night. For those of you who don't know anything about paintings or that doesn't interest you, um, it may mean nothing, but it was one of my bucket lists to see Starry Night and, uh, at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. When I saw it, I wasn't even sure that it was actually, it was one of those things where, well, this can't be it. Number one, it seems a lot smaller in real life. Uh, so I wanted to reach out and touch it just to make sure. But I learned you don't do that at the Museum of Modern Art. You don't reach across the line and touch their paintings. That's, that's something they frown upon. So I've had the opportunity to see some really good stuff. And all of these are beautiful in their own really unique way. But the most beautiful work of art has often been right in front of us all the time a lot closer than we could probably imagine, and it's this. It's called our life. It's called your life. It's called my life. Listen to these words from um, author and pastor Erwin McManus. He writes this, Though we may create many beautiful works of art, the most important work of art to which we will ever give ourselves are the lives that we live. The most beautiful work of art to which you and I will ever give ourselves is the life in which we live. I've seen works of art bring beauty to some of the most ugliest of situations and circumstances. I've had the uh, benefit, if you will, I guess, of seeing beautiful graffiti on the wall of separation, as they call it. The one that separates Bethlehem, at least I was in Bethlehem, the one that separates uh, Palestine uh, the Palestinian uh, settlements from Israel. I've, I've stood at this wall of separation, which towers over these walls right here. But on this wall are beautiful works of art and graffiti that say such things as hope and forgiveness. I've seen a work of art on a wall in Denver, which by the dark of night I thought was random graffiti. In fact, I thought it was more or less just vandalism, and I kind of scoffed at it and said, now why would they do that? I got there the next morning, and lo and behold, it wasn't vandalism, it was Art. It was beautiful graffiti that was designed to bring beauty to this 
part of Denver which was not such a great part of Denver. I've seen art in the form of plays. I've heard art in the form of music, both of which made me laugh or brought me to tears. I've seen art right here this morning, dancing in the aisle. A child who's just free with joy and wonder and curiosity. I don't know how she's going to be when she gets home. That's on you guys, all right? But at least for the moment, she was having a joyful time. And much in the same way, the life we live can be this work of art. And it can be the kind of art that brings beauty to this world. This idea of art and connecting it with how we live our lives was impressed upon me when I came across one of my favorite Thanksgiving poems. And yes, I am kind of one of these traditionalists. During this time of year and during Christmas, I kind of return to the same things. It's like watching Christmas story again and again and again. You know, it's whether you're a, a Clark Griswold fan or whether you're the other fan, you just watch it again because you love the story. And these are pieces of this time of year which I really love and just, again, remind me. And one of these is a piece called The Art of Thanks Living, written by Wilfred Peterson. Now, some of you may not know Wilfred Peterson, but you may know what he did. He was an American author who wrote for the magazine This Week. Remember ever getting your Sunday paper? And in the Sunday paper was this sort of slick insert. had a bunch of little articles in it, uh, sort of kind of uh, written, uh, I wouldn't say feel-good articles, but really good motivational kind of positive stuff. And Wilfred Peterson wrote for that all the time. And he always started his topics with the art of. And he wrote about marriage, and he wrote about getting along with people. He wrote about creative thinking, or he simply wrote about art of living day by day. And one of my favorite ones is this. It's called The Art of Thanks Living. And I want to read it with you, or to you. The art of thanksgiving is thanks living. It's gratitude in action. It is applying Albert Schweitzer's philosophy, quote, in gratitude for your own good fortune, you must render in return some sacrifice of your life for another life. And then he goes on to add, it is thanking God for the gift of life by living it triumphantly. It is thanking God for your talents and abilities by accepting them as obligations to be invested for the common good. It's thanking God for all that men and women have done for you by doing things for others. It's thanking God for opportunities by accepting them as a challenge to achieve it. It's thanking God for happiness by striving to make others happy. It's thanking God for beauty by helping to make the world more beautiful. It's thanking God for inspiration by trying to be an inspiration to others. It's thanking God for health and strength by the care and reverence you show your body. It's thanking God for the creative ideas that enrich life by adding your own creative contributions to human progress. It's thanking God for each new day by living it to the fullest. It's thanking God by giving hands, arms, legs, and voice to your thankful spirit. It is adding your prayers of thanksgiving, acts of thanksgiving. I'll come back to that in a few moments. If there's an underlying theme in this passage that Dan read a few moments ago, it's this, generosity. Now, when you heard him read this, I thought for a few minutes, "Uh uh-oh, I bet they think there's a stewardship message coming on because the first thing he read was, God loves a chill forgiver because I heard all of you reach for your wallets and hang on to them. So you probably thought that's what was going to happen. It's not a stewardship sermon. It's a generosity sermon. It's what most stewardship sermons should be anyway. How can we be stewards of our life? How can we be stewards of the grace that God has shown us, the goodness that God has given to us? 
In Paul's world, many of the Christian fellowships faced financial struggles and hardships. They weren't churches or buildings like we have now. They were house churches. They were people that gathered together in homes, and they struggled. And often they struggled because they weren't, they weren't looked upon very kindly by the empire. And so they lost jobs, they lost money, they lost wages, and they were struggling to live and, and, and to provide for themselves. And so other fellowships, countries away and many miles away, as Paul would travel, he would take collections with him. And other fellowships would say, we heard that the, that the church in, in Rome, or we heard that the church in Ephesus or the church in Philippi is not doing well. Here, take this. Just take what we have and give it to them. And so Paul is, Paul is expressing his appreciation for one such fellowship for their generosity. And, and he writes this to them, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. Your ministry of this service to God's people isn't, isn't only fully meeting their needs, but it is also multiplying in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. Paul, I think, is just simply trying to reinforce and undergird and build into these fellowships and build into the lives of these people this one very simple theme. When God is good to you, pass it on. When God is gracious to you, pass it on. And the best way that you can show gratitude to God is pass on that gratitude to others through your life and through what you do and how you share your life. And if we do that, Paul seems to say, it just multiplies in ways that we can't imagine. It's a world of gratitude and thanksgiving, I think Paul is saying, is created when people are willing to pass on the richness of life that they have received. And that richness isn't just material stuff. We have been beneficiaries of the richness of life in many other ways. Maybe all of these, maybe some of these. The richness of love. Maybe the richness of somebody's encouragement. Maybe you have been the beneficiary of the richness of education or talent. Whatever that richness is, Paul says, when we pass on this richness of life, we help to shape a world in which gratitude and thanksgiving is much more possible. And this richness doesn't mean that life is always easy. Sometimes in our more difficult times, we have known the richness of friendship or the richness of family, or the richness of our faith communities and prayer. And sometimes in those most desperate of moments, we have known the richness of prayer and God's peace just when we need it. So rich, being rich, is far more than just what we have in a bank account. It's far more than just what our assets all add up to. Richness has to do with quality. It has to do with life. It has to do with grace. It has to do with how God has been with us and how God has shown up in our life often through others. And if that definition is true, and I think it is, I am an extremely rich man. I cannot be any richer than I am. The problem with me at times is not that I'm not rich. The problem with me at times is I've been stingy, and I've tended to hoard that and not pass it on. Paul writes, we are made rich in every way, so that he writes, we can be generous in every way, passing on this richness of life to others, acts of thanks living added to our prayers, acts of thanksgiving. I mentioned this idea of hoarding, this passing on the richness of life. I think it's so necessary. I think because we tend to live in a world ruled by this scarcity mindset, this mindset we feel that there's not enough to go around, so we have to keep it for ourselves. We have to hoard it. We don't just hoard things. 
So we think about, you know, the person who keeps things in their house or we, we hold tight to our stuff. But we, hold, we hoard other things as well, appreciation or words of praise or offering a word of thanks. We may even hoard encouragement or a helping hand. And I think we keep it to ourselves because we often think there's not enough of this to go around. So we end up with a life that's kind of in competition. If I'm too generous with them, if I give too much appreciation, too much thanks, too much encouragement, there's not enough, there's not going to be enough for me. I've got to make sure I get mine before they get theirs. And when that mindset prevails, I think we lessen the possibility that life can be permeated with gratitude and thanksgiving. And when that happens, it's more likely that competitiveness, cynicism, and sometimes fatalism is more prevalent. What would it be like to live in a generous society that is abundant with praise and encouragement, that is abundant with grace and mercy, that is abundant with words of affirmation, which is abundant with words of of civility and graciousness. I remember about two, where the shift happened for me about two or three years ago. Linda and I had gone to be uh, away in the mountains for a couple days, and we were actually using a friend's house. They knew it, but we were using their house. (laughs) I had to clarify that. (laughs) They stepped out for a couple hours, um, no, we were there for a couple of days, and I had picked up a book and was reading this book. And quite honestly, this book was something that just caught my eye. It was more a book of leadership, personal development, motivation, all wrapped up into one. I just seemed to like what it said on the back. I thumbed through it, and I thought, yeah, this looks like a good book to read for a couple of days. So I'd gotten about a quarter of the way through it. And as I got into it, there was this one point where the writer says this. He goes, if you could choose three words... Three words that would describe how you want to be in your life. What would those three words be? Write them down right now. Well, I took them seriously. I wrote them down. And I was amazed at how easy they came. And they have stayed with me ever since then. And those three words are simply this. To be genuine, to be generative, and to be generous. Now, I had no reason why to write those words, but that third word scared me. It scared me for a couple reasons, because I can be one who hangs on to things, money. I can be one who hangs on to things and worries about things like that. And I can be one who can be kind of stingy. But when I heard that, I thought, that's what I want to be. I do want to be generous in every way possible. Generous with my time, generous with my presence, Maybe generous with my money. Don't come up afterwards and ask me for it, but maybe generous with my money. Generous with encouragement, compliments, and appreciation. And i got to tell you this, friends. I didn't realize how hard it would be until I made a commitment to do it. You know why? Because I learned that I'm probably one of those just like everybody else that says, okay, now that I did it to you, you got to what? you got to do it for me. And I heard God say, that's not how it works. Once you do, you got to let go of it. you just got to be generous and offer it. It's a gift. It's not a barter system. It's not a trade-off. It's a gift. That's what life is. And so when we are given the richness of life in whatever way possible, I believe God invites us to pass it on. God invites us to share it. God invites us to be generous with it. And I think because of that and in that, we end up with our prayers of thanksgiving 
begin to engage in acts of thanksgiving, as Wilfred Peterson himself says. Let me read that one more time, because I think what he says is so good, and it's a wonderful way to begin the Thanksgiving week. The art of thanksgiving is thanksgiving. It is gratitude in action. It is applying Albert Schweitzer's philosophy in gratitude for your own good fortune, whatever that may be, whatever that looks like, you render in return some sacrifice of your life for another life. And here's what he says. It's thanking God for the gift of life by living it triumphantly. What would it look like for you to live your life triumphantly? It's thanking God for your talents and abilities by accepting them as obligations to invest for the common good. It's thanking God for all the men and women who have done something for you by doing things for others. It's thanking God for opportunities by accepting them as a challenge to achievement. It's thanking God for happiness by striving to make others happy. Or maybe a word I like is bringing joy to other people's life. It's thanking God for beauty by helping to make the world more beautiful. It's thanking God for inspiration by trying to be an inspiration to others. And what a great goal that would be is this week, and I would say every other week, but at least if you just want a goal this week, say to yourself, I'm simply going to be nothing more than an inspiration to others every day this week. Every day. That's going to be my act of thanksgiving. It's thanking God for health and strength by the care and reverence you show your body. It's thanking God for the creative ideas that enrich life by adding your own creative contributions to human progress. It's thanking God for each new day by living it to the fullest. It's thanking God by giving hands, arms, legs, and voice to your thankful spirit. And it's adding your prayers of thanksgiving, acts of thanksgiving. It'll probably look different for all of us. I'm sure it will. But at least it's this invitation to do more than just offer a prayer of thanksgiving. How can we live it? How can we embody it? How can we practice it with those around us this week?